Blog Talk Radio. Yvonne Mason and for this show tonight that song just spoke to me it just needed to start this show off it is it is an upbeat song a happy song and of course it's one of my favorite songs my co-host again tonight is my my friend and my son by another mother Ian Bush who I absolutely adore he has a twisted sense of humor like I do and so we never know what this show is going to produce. That's why it's called Off the Chain. My guest tonight is someone that I have so much respect for and just have watched her from afar. She inspires me to be a better person. Author J. Traveler Pelton, better known as Jeanette Pelton, on her Facebook page. She is a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a Native American, a clinically licensed independent social worker with supervisory status. She operates a private mental health practice and fluctuates between writing Christian historical science fiction and nonfiction. She is a fiber artist. She loves making quilts. I've seen some of her finished products, and I am so envious. She spins fibers into yarn. She crochets. She heads up Spring Haven's Fiber Mavens. Say that fast three times. She lives on a mini farm with her husband, Dan, seven alpacas, 
a flock of chickens, four Pomeranians, four Siamese cats, an Amazon parrot named Giz, and 14 canaries. She never will have to worry about going down into a mine because she will have the canaries. If you don't know what that means, we'll talk about it. She and her husband lead a small house church in which they serve their community as they felt needs to fulfill, as they find, I can't talk, as they find needs to fulfill. Jay Traveler, <laughs> thank you for joining us. See, it's already started. I can't even speak tonight. <laughs> well, I was trying to think, when was the last time I was on off the chain? I think it's been three years at that point, I had finished nine books, and now I have 37 of them in print. And I was saying, okay, she probably wants to talk about the latest one, but I want to talk about the other one, too. And I'm sort of like, where are we going from here? I just returned Who knows? It's off the chain. <laughs> yeah, like I say, I, I'm just like, okay, where do we want to start? Um, I guess we'll start the, wherever you want. First, I want to know, when do you sleep? Oh, I do do that occasionally. I really do. I keep my mental health office open three days, 12 hours each day to see people. And then on the other four days, um, that's when I, I do writing and stuff. I generally get about seven or eight hours sleep a night, but at the same time, and the next morning I get up, my brain says, okay, that's great. Now here's a list of things you've got to get done. And it's almost automatic. It generates while I'm sleeping, and it's like, okay, today I'm going to do this, this, and this. And some of it gets done, some of it doesn't. I'm kind of, oh, it's not lackadaisical. It's just I get it. I get things done. And uh, my husband was looking at our vacation. He says, okay, you have a bucket list. You wanted to see a moose in person, and I did, which was cool. Anybody go up to Baxter State Forest and go on Mount Katahdin. You can see a moose. They have them all over the place there. And uh, I wanted to at least get at the start of the Appalachian Trail, which was cool. I got there, got my picture taken beside the official sign, and then I took what was supposed to be the easy path. There's there's all kinds of paths in Baxter State Forest on Mount Katahdin, and the ranger assured me this was an easy path, not difficult because I'm not a young lady anymore. I thought I'd die before we finished that four <laughs> miles. I really did. There are tree limbs and things you have to climb down and rocks the size of hall closets. There are boulders that have hair on them, and you get closer, and it's ferns. Mm-hmm. A whole top surface is covered with ferns, but from a distance, it looks like there's a hairy rock in front of you. <laughs> it was the craziest experience I've had, and it ends in a waterfall, which is cool. I love waterfalls. But we got down there close to the waterfall, and we are hiking ourselves back up. And nobody got hurt or injured, which was great. And the next day, the remainder of Elsa hit Maine, and we were inundated to the point they've had to close Acadia because all the roads are washed out. So it was up and down on the vacation, but all all told it was fun. And and in the meantime, we're on this vacation. When I get home at night, I'd type, and I'd add stuff to my stories and my books based on what I was doing that day. So I'm like, oh, this next book is going to be neat because there's a moose in it. But anyway... <laughs> That's not only fantastic. not only did not only did she take her books, ladies and gentlemen, but she took her sewing machine, her quilting, oh, yeah. her crocheting. I yes. I, I'm surprised I she didn't take the farm animals with her. Well, I couldn't figure a place that would take them. Otherwise, I would. <laughs> I missed my <laughs> alpaca. It was terrible. I'm, uh, my husband laughs and calls it my my animal addiction because I go out there and they come up and they hum. You know, alpacas are endearing. The sound they make is a hum. They hum at you and I hum back at them. I don't know oh what my, my neighbors think, honestly. But um, they're going to have babies soon. And so I've got four pregnant alpaca walking around with these bulgy tummies. And um, we just kind of commiserate about what pregnancy's like. <laughs> and my husband just goes hysterical, you know, hearing me talking to the alpaca. Yeah, it's miserable. It's almost over. We're going to have babies. and it's going to be fine. He just doesn't understand. He just does not no, understand. He does not. Does not. So, Ann, weigh in here, honey. No, no, I don't understand either. I, <laughs> <laughs> See that? Nothing. I, 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 I admit. I mean, I was, I was, I was, uh, 
Yeah, I was definitely uh, a little bit lost and scared with my first one. So I was all like, I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm here <laughs> to help. But I don't understand. There was a thing right. on, on Facebook where some men wanted to find out what it actually felt like. And so oh, they yeah, and they put the machine. belt to them. Yeah. And they yeah. said, okay, this is what the first yep. layer of contractions. They couldn't make it. The transition contraction. <laughs> they had to have a yeah. Blowout. Well, you know. Like, oh my goodness. Hey, That's that that man flu. I mean, it's it's really strong too. Okay. Like, oh yeah. Y'all gotta cut a little slack. <laughs> Why not? Well, I wanted to tell you that since I talked to you, I've I've kind of expanded the kind of books I I write. Um, the books. At the end of last year, I started writing cozy mysteries as well. A friend of mine uh, said, you know, you write everything so well. Why don't you try a cozy mystery? There's a whole lot of people like cozy mysteries, and it's been kind of wild. I didn't know how much fun they were to write because you're setting up a puzzle for people to solve by the end of the book if they can. Right. And I ended up with the Fiber Maven set, and I'm writing the Furry Animal series and the Zoo series, and they're all going to hook together. Uh, there are three small towns set in Ohio, which is what I know about, and I write three or four books about each town, and then I put them all together on a case in the final two books. So I've got it planned out for about 12 books, but so far there's five of them done, and they've been very well received. Those have been an absolute blast. I need to read those. Yeah. I'll have to look uh, those up and, and pull them down and read them. Yeah, the, the first one is called Quilting Can Be Criminal. And it's about uh, a quilt shop and a fiber shop and uh, some rather interestingly crazy things that happen. Uh, there's a person who's going around causing, in general, havoc and killing people. turns out that he's mentally ill, but that's obvious for people who do those things. But he leaves a quilt square, an incredibly intricate quilt square, at each crime that he commits. And when they start gathering these quilt squares and putting them all together, they realize that this is not just quilt squares. He's making a specific pattern, and they start to be able to predict, okay, he's going to be over here next, and they're right. It gets really wild in there. So that one is uh, the Fiber Maven set, and the first one is called Quilting Can Be Criminal. And Mm -hmm. then this year I have put out a new sci-fi series, um, that is uh, the Mutation Fellowship. And uh, the first one's called Accidental Anomalies, and it is set in the immediate future after a meteorite hits and the radiation causes natural mutations among the populace. Mm -hmm. And uh, it goes... Is uh, Altered Anomalies part of that as well? Altered Anomalies, yes. Altered Anomalies is uh, the second book, and then there's Accepted Anomalies is the third book. Mm-hmm. And people are having a grand time with those. And a lot of my native heritage comes out within those books because they, uh, muta- the folks who are, um, I call them an, uh, anomalies, the people who have mutated into something else find refuge on the reservations because they are sovereign land and the government just can't come in and take them off and do experiments on them. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, pretty intricate so that's fun of course since i've talked to you i've started the christmas series every every uh christmas i come out with a christmas book of bedtime stories for the entire period of advent and however many days of advent there are anywhere but 20 24 to 26 depending on the year there's a bedtime Mm -hmm. story that explains one of the strange things or cultural things about christmas everything from the monsters of christmas to what has dill pickles got to do with Christmas trees? Uh, <laughs> and I make a, a story out of each evening. Uh, I've got people writing in to me and say, hey, have you ever explored the Zickelfoos man? And I'm saying, I have no idea what that is, but I'll look it up. And I start studying, saying, oh, yeah, he has to do with Christmas in Norway. Uh, they have a giant cat in Sweden in their mythology that if the children don't behave, the giant cat takes them. But mm-hmm. if the oh children behave, the giant cat leaves them a new set of clothes. And mm-hmm. that tradition started back in the 1700s. So over there, the kids get up and they're relieved when they get, you know, shoe socks, underwear, a shirt, and pants because the cat didn't take them. And the There's actually a video of that where um, somebody dresses up 
like that creature and comes in the house and the kids are just petrified. You don't know what they're saying, but they're just absolutely like, I mean, it's just like if somebody dressed up like the Grinch for us over in America, like they're just petrified that the cats come to get them. Now, now the Grinch is my favorite character. I I like the Grinch. I have not done one on the Grinch, but there are some really great monsters um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my Christmas books that are from different countries because it's amazing absolutely amazing as I'm compiling them. Anyway, that's the Tales for Advent and Christmas books. And so around November, I'll be coming out with book three, which uh, mm. it explains how reindeers fly. I actually had a scientist explain that to me. So that'll be fun for people. And then, of course, there's the religious books that I write. The latest two of those are Uncle James, a Servant of God to Us, which is mm. taking the book of James, which is a letter, and it bases devotionals on the the verses in the book of James, which is a very short book. And then uh, I wrote a book called Just Before Dying, He Prayed for You, which is based on the last recorded prayer of Christ, which is uh, in John 17. And I, and I look at it from when he was praying it, and then what is today like it? How could he possibly, 2,500 years ago, have understood what we needed today in this prayer? because it fits so well with the tension and the stress and the fear that we are going through between COVID and goodness knows whatever else, it it just is soothing. And so I uh, put a book out about that one. And during the COVID mess last year when we were all stuck inside, I wrote uh, Calm Instead of Clamor, in which I help you understand how to drop fear from a clinical standpoint. So I have some clinical self-help books now, 90 Days to the God Habit, which is basically helping you understand that any habit can be broken in 28 days. Uh, That's what it takes in order to break the habit, in order to break whatever habit it is. And I don't care whatever habit it is. It can be broken and rewritten over in 28 days. And I explain Mm -hmm. both from a religious point of view, a spiritual point of view, and from a scientific clinical point of view, how one goes about fixing habits that you don't like or adding habits you want. So I you are so talented. Since I've to you yeah, and yeah. actually, I want to I want to talk about that a little bit too because okay. um, you know I'm I'm of course as Yvonne already kind of mentioned she's she's turned me into one of her little bounty hunting students and I was actually very impressed with your blog. Um, you have been writing in your blog pretty religiously, no pun intended, since January 2018. Mm-hmm. And there's, this is actually pretty good. Like, you have a good um, blend of, um, you know, a little snapshot of the author, you know, what you're doing, um, what you're working on, what you've seen, and then you, you always, you, you always put almost towards the end, um, what book you're working on or, you know, what your work in progress is. And I, I, I really applaud you. You've, you've, you have a very robust blog and whatnot, but when I was reading through your blog, um, you know, we've already talked about that you have a mental health, uh, I guess, affinity that you like working in the mental health area. I wonder in your opinion, the mental health, connection with authors do you believe that authors are more mentally healthy or less mentally healthy or is that something that's never been examined well if you want to look into the research there has been some research done on that and depending on which researchers you go into authors either write because they feel forced into it or they simply cannot avoid it if you're a, an actual creative person with a creative, uh, I want to call it a creative gene almost, you can't help yourself. If you're not writing books, you're going to be writing something else. The words mm-hmm. just come out. Uh, and I've had people say, well, are, are authors all bipolar because they all seem to write in spurts? Well, it's not the same as bipolar. The creativity comes in spurts. Like there are days when it's like, yeah, I want to do something. I think I'm going to design a quilt, and I'm going to see how far I can get on it. And I don't do any writing at all because that day I just want to do physical, physical mm-hmm. creativity. But most authors get the biggest 
relaxation out of writing. It's hard work. Certainly it is. Uh, You've got to know the rules of grammar, all that jazz, to get ready to do it well. But once you're into it and you get into kind of a, uh, my son calls it a groove. I don't know if there's a scientific Mm -hmm. term for it. But you start writing and you start thinking, I can't wait to find out what's going to happen to this character. I don't honestly know myself, but I want to see what he does. That is so true. So it's just like when you're doing a painting, because I've done tiny bits of painting in the back. I am not good at it like you are. But I have done bits of painting in the back, and it's sort of like, I don't know where I'm going to put this tree, but I want a tree in this picture, and I, I want a cabin somewhere and I want I I am not Bob Ross although I admire the man I am not any of those people I can do a little bit but it's not so much the planning it's the letting it go when you start doing it it's the just letting it go and letting it evolve into what it's supposed to be in most of the clinical research that they have done they've actually taken people who write or who paint or who are uh, in any of the arts and they've this sounds horrible. They put electrodes on their head. They tape them on or they glue them on. They don't stick them in, of course. And when you get into that groove part, they look at it and they say, look at that. We know that you're in the groove part because your brain's producing delta waves. Mm-hmm. You're no longer producing the alpha or beta waves. You're producing delta waves. And delta waves seem to be the creative ones. They're the ones that when you're really into it and you're typing and typing and your fingers can't type fast enough to get the scene down that's when your brain is hitting on all four cylinders, so to speak, and all of them are concentrated on the imaginary world you're making. And when you're finished, you don't even realize how much time has gone by. The time just zips by, and then you look at it and say, oh, my goodness, I was supposed to have made supper an hour ago. My husband's a patient man. <laughs> he really is. He knows when I'm in there, my hands are going and flying across the keys. I might have make myself a peanut butter sandwich because she's not coming out for a while. <laughs> and sometimes I'll look Yvonne, up and how do you, and how do you feel about that, Yvonne? I agree with her. Um, I was just thinking, I just finished a short story for the, the latest anthology I was doing. It was a horror short story. When I started the short story, I didn't know where it was going, and I kept wanting it to go in another direction. So I got bogged down, and I couldn't write for weeks because <laughs> my brain just said, okay, Stupid! If you're not going to do what we, the characters, are telling you to do, you're not doing nothing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I didn't write for weeks, and then mm-hmm. when I sat down and I said, "Okay, fine, y'all just write the story. Just you, just here's my fingers. Just do what you want to do." This thing ended out of left field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know where it was going. I just kept typing, and I'm going, where are these words coming from, and why is this conversation going on? And when it ended, I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to play with my characters anymore. I was done with them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take my toys and go home. <laughs> <laughs> I have put you to bed, and it has finished. Stephen King, I have you written his, uh, read his book that's called On Writing, in which he explains mm-hmm. his writing process. He does a, a, a short biography memoir, and then he goes into how he writes and the characters, how he develops them. He doesn't sit down and outline it. I, uh-uh. I look at all these uh, writer's help uh, things, and I look at him and say, sit down and outline it. Are you out of your mind? I never outline a book. Now, Me either. Now, the series that I have when I'm gen- joining all the towns, I do keep a list of the characters so I don't mix up what town who comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, it flows, the ideas flow, and they go. And you're wondering what Brad's going to do or how's Casey going to do and, and how's Andy going to get out of this one and how on earth did the guy catch the bull that got loose when he was chasing the goth kids. All of this stuff, you're typing and trying to get it down. And after I get to the point where I think, okay, I need to go back and start editing and go back and edit and I correct all my errors, I make sure that there's continuity there and everything, but I don't really outline stuff. And I've never I don't outlined anything. Look, Stephen King doesn't either. Um, and I bring up Stephen King just because I passed his house when we were up in Maine. Not but the I'm thing, the thing without, the thing without outlining. When I was in school from 
first grade on, anytime we had to write something, the first thing the teacher said is, you need an outline first. And I'm going, but that's not the way my brain works. I might give you an outline, but the finished product's not going to be anything like the outline, then I'm going to get a bad grade. This is not the way I work. Well, Yvonne, you got to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. I said, yeah, well, it will be a beginning, and a, but it won't be mine. It'll be the characters. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, Yvonne, you were you, you probably graduated high school like maybe like 10 years ago or so, so it's not been too oh, long since you've been out of high school. Oh, but, um I love this boy. Look, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's why she keeps me around. <laughs> I know all of the right things to say. No, but Lovely. that's also a, a, a good point to um, – to bring up is that the way that we teach has fundamentally changed from the quote unquote old ways to the new ways. Like we understand that there's tactile people. We understand that um, some people have to see one, do one. We understand that some people are perfectly fine with lectures and just listening. And mm-hmm. right. uh, I'm, I'm really happy that we've made that shift. And I think we've also started making that shift in mental health as well, which is, um, yeah. I'm a huge advocate for mental health and I, I have my own uh, mental health issues that you know I, I struggle with and I'm pretty open about it I, I don't mind telling people about the anxiety and the um, depression because um, right. if, if I don't tell them they'll they'll find out just <laughs> and then that's an even more awkward conversation and they're like man you're usually so confident you do radio shows and uh, now it seems like you can't even leave your house out checking that doorknob six times I'm like I know Bring it up again, it'll be a seven. But (laughs) the changes that um, have been happening with mental health where, you know, men can start speaking out about it a little bit more and that it's not a taboo thing, um, all these things and more, you know, we we can joke about the state of of the world and the state of the affairs and all that, but there are some good things that are coming out of, um, you know, 2020 and the 2000s, if you will, and that's that's one big one is that we can actually sit down and have these conversations and, um, you know, have the understanding that you're not your label, like you're you are not anxiety and depressed. You are Ian with symptoms of that, you know. Yes, and I think during the year. I call it the year of the pandemic when everyone was staying home, except us mental health professionals and nurses and doctors and all those essential folks. I don't know why they said called them essential. It's like everybody's essential. They, mm-hmm. I don't know what happened to the people who got considered non-essential. That always bothered me. But during that period, some of the stigma lifted from mental illness. You are correct, Ian. And before going into it, People didn't want to talk about how depressed they felt or how anxious they felt, especially men. Um, I would get people calling, my wife says that I need to come in. It was never, I think I need to come in. Well, now men call up and say, you know, I think I'm really stressed to the max. I need to talk to somebody. Absolutely, come right in. There's a total shift in how we thought, and it's been the last two years. Before that, many places like Mental Health America, um, NAMI, that's the National Association for uh, Mentally Ill, they were pushing to try to relieve stigma, but they couldn't get it done. It took a pandemic to make us change the way we look at people's brains misfiring, which is basically what a lot of it is. When your body is out of balance, out of homostasis, as we call it, when it's out of balance and your mind then goes out of balance, It's a horrible thing, but most can be controlled. Most Mm -hmm. can be changed. Most can be helped by a good therapist, and in some instances, if the physical imbalance is too great, then medication. Mm -hmm. We are taking more serious looks at it now, and we are actually making the changes that needed to have happened 20 years ago to make a healthier populace. Actually, further back than 20 years, I think we should have gone, we should go back way back to the 15th, 16th, and 17th centuries. Well, since we can't do that, and I haven't even thought of time travel doing it, <laughs> I just look at what I've seen as I've come into life as a therapist, how it was 20, 25 years ago, and I'm looking at it now and saying, it's 
it's not that mental health is going away or going down. It's the attitudes toward it. Mm-hmm. People yeah. don't like to think of having a broken brain. People don't like to think about having broken emotions, uh, about having their bodies control things. It's like um, depersonalization disorder wasn't even thought about before, mm-hmm. where a person says, I'm not responsible for what my hands do because they're not listening to me. I have I have clients that feel that way. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't think they're in control of themselves anymore. We have well, so many more other... mental illnesses coming up that are being diagnosed now. It's It's amazing what's happening in the field. And I think the other... Uh, big key too that I, I really appreciate um, is the perspective of mental health in regards to um, I, I guess the only term I can think of is innocent bystanders because mm. not only the person who has that mental illness suffers, the people around him suffer too and I think that was um, something that I had to learn throughout right. my journey of, of dealing with this is that you know um, actually kind of kept me accountable in a lot of ways, like made me actually get out of bed and whatnot, that, you know, if I stay in bed all day and do nothing and blow everyone off, the residual effects of hurting my friends, my loved ones, and all of that. And um, I think that's another big shift that I really appreciate in the field is that, you know, there's not only one victim when it comes to mental health. There's many victims. There's family. There's friends. There's people that care about you, you know. Right. Everything happens not in a vacuum, but more like uh, there's the sea of humanity or the sea of your, the lake of your family. And when something happens to you, it's like you've thrown a rock in that lake and all these ripples go out and affect everybody that is in your sphere of influence. So when you are down or when you are anxious or worried or stressed, or manic or depressive or whatever, it has an effect on the people around you. And most folks who are in the middle, who are ha- it's happening to that person, they don't recognize what it does to the people around them. And I think folks are starting to realize we're all interconnected. It has an effect uh, like a spider shaking his web. Uh, a bug goes into it and he knows because the web is shaking. Something's happening in the web of your family when somebody in there isn't well. Yeah. You all no, are sick. And and when that happens, people that and I would say that we're all broken in some way because we are, but when that happens, people that don't have an understanding of what a person is going through at that moment in time, they also need to learn how to do two things, listen and shut up. Yeah. So much could be improved communication-wise if, and sometimes I actually use this with couples who can't seem to talk to each other, if you would just give yourself turns in talking. And some people have to be taught to take turns in a conversation. I had a couple in here a few months ago. He sat on the couch, and she sat across the room. And I'm like, "Um, okay. (laughs) But they could not look at each other, and they wouldn't talk to each other. And I'm sort of like, you know, if you're going to save your marriage, which is what both of you told me you want to do, we've got to have you each take turns talking. Because they would constantly interrupt when one would say something, oh, no, that's not what happened. They didn't use even the mildest amount of manners, as my grandma would put it, to allow the other person to finish the sentence before they interrupted. And then they would freeze and not talk at all. So you have to teach people to converse, which sounds odd, that they never learned it. It's something I grew up with, uh, learning how to give a person the courtesy of listening to them. There is no courtesy in that anymore. No. And And, and people... And people hear, but they don't always listen. Yeah, they look at you and there's a blank face. Yes. Yes, I'm listening, but not a word of it went in and was sorted out and understood. Um, 
we used to joke about teenagers doing this to their parents. Yeah, mom. Yeah, mom. Yeah, mom. And tell me what I just said. Uh, and there's, you know, shock. <laughs> <laughs> because they didn't hear a word she said, and sometimes husbands are like that with wives, and a lot of times wives are like that with husbands, but we, for some reason we don't joke about it as much. It's sort of like you have to actually be in the moment. You have to be attending to them. That's the person you're mm-hmm. listening to at the time, and therefore you should be attending to them and not answering the phone, not worrying about the text, not worrying about whatever. You should be looking at them and actually processing what they say. And it's sort of strange that in college, way back a long time ago, one of the things we learned was how to pay attention because people don't know how to do it anymore. We actually had a semester in how you stay attentive, how you keep your mind on the person and what they're saying, and you're analyzing while they're talking so you can actually give it back to them and say, okay, what I heard you say was, and see if they agree with it to make sure you understand what the problem is. And, you know, I still do that when when I am in a deep conversation or when something is, is starting to get beyond just a conversation and beyond the debate, it's fixing to get heated. I will say, so I am understanding you to say A, B, C, or D, and they'll look at me and go, that's not what I said. Yeah, and you thought you did. That's, but that's the way it came across, so please explain to me what you meant by what you said. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, it it diffuses a lot of things because my in, it's like our writing, our interpretation of what we read when somebody else writes or what somebody else interprets of what we read may be nothing at all mm-hmm. of what we wrote. Right. But that, that's their interpretation. And it's the same thing in conversations. My late husband used to say, Yvonne, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? In other words, something I, I learned a long time ago, pick my battles. And I'm only going to pick those I'm going to win. I'm not going to pick those that, that it's like pissing in the ocean because it's not going to matter. Yeah, they're not going to hear you anyway. No. And it causes a whole lot of unnecessary stress and tension to not do that. And I have seen people that I think their joy in life was to cause to cause chaos mm-hmm. because everything was aimed toward causing chaos. Nothing was constructive. They were happiest when they were unhappy and making other people miserable along with them. Uh, yes, and it's a strange uh, way to live. Well, now, now hold on. Like, I don't want to cause a huge debate, but, I mean – yeah, you get some of those people, but I think some people just don't know how to live happily. Mm. Well, they're so not really happy with themselves. Really strange. Happy is a really strange thing. If you chase it, you'll never find it. Exactly. As my grandpa used to say. I love my grandpa, and he said, happiness is something you can't catch. Happiness is something that sneaks up on you, and one day you realize, hey, I live a pretty good life. Uh... Things are not bad. The world may be going to heck in a hay basket, but look here, I've got food on the table, I've got clothes, I've got a great family, I have a job. What? Why am I grumpy? And they pulled him, he would pull himself out and say, there's no reason. Because you're as happy as you set your mind to be. It's how you set your attitude to react to things. Not just uh, something bad happens and your automatic response is to start smarting back to people. When if you give yourself a 30th of a second and close your mouth for just a gulp, <laughs> you can generally come up with something gentler to say. The scriptures put it, a soft answer turns away wrath. Um, I saw this the other day when I was shopping. I was in the store, and I'm trying to check out a few things. And this poor lady that is checking me out, the person before me was, okay, they were not nice. I'll just, I'll be charitable. They were not nice. They were sharp, and they were nasty. In there. And this poor lady is almost shaking. And I have these five things, and she's fumbling around and can't get her reader to read them. And I, I took a look at her and said, okay, she's nervous, she's upset, her stomach's in knots, what can I do? And I said, you know, I'm so glad that you came to work this morning. And she looked at me like I had two heads. I said, yeah, because you have just taught me a lesson in patience, and I probably needed it. And this look came over her face, and she kind of smiled and said, yeah. And I said, yep. And you do your work well. And I, 
and everything went better for her that way. Sometimes it's just taking the time to respond to people kindly will turn their whole day around. And if all of us would do that to at least one person that we come against that looks like they're having a bad day, we could make a whole lot of nice happen, which is not a bad thing. You still with us, Ian? Yeah, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm thinking. <laughs> he's out there I'm, I'm we're listening in so I can respond. <laughs> Very good. I'm actively he's listening. I, I already. Uh, right. Well, you you can teach dumb men new tricks. So, um, <laughs> no, I, I just. Um, uh, I can teach smart I, men new tricks too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 trying to. I think we got two threads going on, which is fine. I mean, it's still a good conversation, mm-hmm. but I think some people have not been trained how to be happy. So it's not that they want to cause chaos and they want to do all that, but when you're saying that they take that step back and they say, oh, you know, my life is pretty good, I, I think I have met people who are just habitually miserable. So it, it, it yeah. scares me just a slight bit to say, you know, there's – the majority of people who are miserable want to be miserable. I think there are some people, maybe a good majority of people who truly don't know how to be happy, to find their happiness, to be their favorite person in the mm-hmm. world. And, and so that's, that was the point that I was trying to pull a little bit too, was that, yeah, there are those people who just love creating chaos and making people's lives miserable. I mean, you can call, you can, you can call that out mile away, but I think truly the other spectrum of that is that people are, Miserable because they don't know how to be happy. They no, don't know how to be content. There's a difference in happiness and contentment. We are told in the Bible to to be content in all things. So even if our if our own personal world is in chaos, if we're content mm-hmm. within ourselves, then we can get through it with a minimum of chaos. But if we're not content, discontent feeds upon itself, which creates more chaos, which feeds upon itself, and then pretty soon you have just a colossal mess. Agree, agree. So that's good. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. <laughs> not disagreeing at all. Trust me. Oh, I no, just, you're not. I See, this is why you uh, you 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 help on this show because. Sometimes you will you will throw things out there to get a conversation going. I know you, Ian. I know you very well. <laughs> of course, and you do. sometimes that's what we need. Oh, you yeah. are exactly oh, yeah. right. So, mm-hmm. let's, what's your latest work in? Uh, uh, what's your latest work in progress, ma'am? The work in progress I'm doing now is I'm working on a zoo series, and I'm working on a series of children's stories called "Kids Grew in My Garden." which are <laughs> object lessons that I learned raising my six kids, things that happened to them. And they're like a series of short stories for kids to, to have, hopefully for parents to read to their children. I, I'm, I try to encourage people to give time to their kids. It is so important. And if that means you can sit down and read a two-page story that makes them laugh, good. That That's, that's a wonderful thing. So that series will be out hopefully in the next five weeks or so. And then, as I say, I am working on my next Cozy Mystery series, um, which is the Furry Animal series, in which the main the the main protagonists are actually a pack of dogs, which sounds funny. But the dogs are all owned by, uh, like, this one is owned by a sheriff, and this one is owned by a prosecutor. And, this, and they're looking at what their bosses do, what their owners do, Mm-hmm. Through the eyes of someone who doesn't quite understand it, and it's really hilarious. I'm having a great time with it, and it's at the same time on the second level, they're trying to solve the mystery of why is someone stealing bushes out of people's yards? Because in this small town, people are getting up and looking out and saying, "My, my forsythe is missing. Who dug my forsythe up?" And they're all calling the the police department hysterically, saying, "Somebody in the middle of the night." stole my lilac bush there's nothing there but a hole and it's it's funny how it is found out and how the animals helped him to settle it so it's i'm just mm-hmm. experimenting with it 
And that's I'm good. waiting it's on you to do the furry family system series. I think I'm waiting on you to do a book on your pregnant alpacas. <laughs> I have been considering that <laughs> on my alpacas because I I love alpacas and there's here in uh, the part of Ohio that I'm in we have several alpaca alpaca breeders and we're always you know comparing notes. What is yours doing? How are yours doing? Who's the best person to help shear it? And what's a great mill to send it to? And, we have a good time. So you could you could do a, a series of books on your alpacas through the through the perspective of the alpacas and what they think about humans. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. I have to think about that one, but that's a good idea. I shall put it in my list of ideas. See, that's another thing that's different about creative people. They'll be working on one book, and it will give them the idea for the next book or mm-hmm. I'll book two books down. You know. Oh, I was thinking about the the furry family series while I was writing the fiber maven series, and I was mm-hmm. thinking of the zoo series when I was working on the Christmas book last year. So rather than lose the idea, I have this file that I keep where I will jot down very quickly something about it that will trigger my memory later to get back and develop that idea. And right now, well, I, I probably well. am going to be immortal because I have too many ideas. <laughs> I, I'm never going to get them all done, but I'm I'm working on it. Well, that's the beauty of like shows like this, and and you know I I the biggest piece of advice I usually give people is like they can't create in a vacuum. They cannot create in solitude unless that works for them, and then that works for them. But mm-hmm. most of us create because we're we're conversational people. We want to create connections. We want to. Um, relieve people of their day-to-day grind for just a couple of minutes with, you know, us regaling our story and our tale. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the neat thing about this show is we get guests on here and we'll throw out an idea or two. And then, you know, they walk away something a little bit, a little bit different than what they were thinking. So. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. three months later, there's a new series of books out. Or a new yeah. song. And then we bring back new... and then we bring back on the show <laughs> to interview them again. <laughs> yes, I got this done while we were gone. Yeah, but when they're years apart like we've done this time for I don't know what reason, way too many go out. <laughs> to try well to what talk happened about is is by the time Jack my mother died six weeks before my husband did. Oh my So in the middle of of coming to terms with, with getting ready to lose him, my mother died, and she was found in the floor by my brother, who's retarded, which I knew was going to happen, and I couldn't get to Georgia, so I had to to start making all the arrangements from here in Florida via telephone, trying to get everybody in place in Georgia at my mother's house. It was a mess, and then, of course, Jack died, so by the time Jack died and the service was over with, I was exhausted. I mean, I'd, oh, yeah. I'd had... Three almost three years of taking care of him and him almost a complete invalid, and the last eight months just took it all out. So I I didn't write, I didn't do anything. No, you were too exhausted to even grieve. Yeah, much less do anything creative. You had no so, more batteries left. No, the batteries were dead, and they were not going to be revived. Not I had to get new well. batteries. No. To get new I was going to say, you got some new batteries for sure. And I think during that oh. time, too, that's when we started working this a lot more where I was co-hosting because I think there yes. was about a month or two that um, I took over. And then that's that was a sad day, man. Yeah, I remember I remember that message this day. You're like, I can't do it. Like, it, mm-hmm. we got to go. It's, it's, it's done. So I was really happy when we resurrected it. What? Now a week yeah. ago, right? Time flies. It- yeah, yeah, actually, it yeah it has been a week. We've done this is our third show. We'll be doing a, I'm doing two shows tomorrow. I'm doing wow. Lady Redneck tomorrow night, and on my other blog talk show, Feed My Sheep, I'm doing a show at one thirty in the afternoon. So, mm-hmm. I, I, go big or go home. What can I say? Right? No, I didn't know you had another one. You say it's called Feed My Sheep. Yes, it is my. Okay, it is my spiritual. Yes, it is my spiritual um based faith based radio show and once that show goes into archives I put it up on the two radio stations that I have that are faith based. All right. So 
So yeah, what I, I need to do is, well, I need to bring you in on that show too, so we can talk about your faith-based faith-based books. I can't talk tonight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, Yvonne. It's time to go to bed. Yeah. On our way back from Maine, we couldn't find a hotel room because somehow the reservation got lost. So we tried to find a hotel room. We finally gave up about 1.30, mm-hmm. and we just drove the whole night through, switching back and forth from my husband and I. We had yeah. been driving in the car for 20 hours. Oh, my. I came home and said, wow, let's unpack the car and get some sleep. So he said, okay, and he went into the room, and I went into the kitchen with the icebox and, and, and took the stuff out and went to look for my husband. He had fallen asleep on the bed. <laughs> fully dressed, because he was just, that was just So I called my my son, who lives upstairs, my grandson, who I call my son because I adopted him. Um, I said, can you help me unload this car? He says, sure, Mom. I didn't know you were home yet. He's a little oblivious <laughs> some days. He pops downstairs. We unloaded the car and just put everything in the kitchen, and the kitchen looked like a disaster area. I said, now I'm going to bed. Well, <laughs> I went and laid down to take it. To, I took a shower first went to bed and I got up three hours later and he had called my granddaughter who you know just lives down the way they'd come up and bless their souls they came up they organized they sorted dirty clothes properly so that they could be washed and they put away the new books I bought oh that's another thing don't get me near bookstore I come home with way too many books (laughs) and books and they did everything they could so that when I got up I had empty suitcases that just had to be put away and I had you know, books and that I need to put in my library. I have about 3,000 books in my library, my personal library. I have an actual room for it, and I need to put them in my database. But it's sort of like I was so happy to get up and not have to face all of it. So I started up the laundry and went back to bed. Um, it's great when families can work together that way, when they know that another person is going to need it, something in the family. Mm-hmm. So... I'm hoping now that, that Ian is helping you that this goes so much smoother for you because oh, you're a great fit. Yeah, it's it's we're back for sure. In fact, we're already booked almost through December. Oh, marvelous! marvelous. So it's and and the thing is, the beauty is, I'm getting authors, but I'm also getting my music artists through oh, uh, Michael Stover. When I had this show before, he sent me several of his artists, and all of those artists have gone on to do great and wonderful things. They've won awards. They've been in the top 100 of the the Billboard charts. And this is the same opportunity I want to give these up-and-coming artists he has, so I can't wait to get some of them on the show. Oh, that'll be fun. And can't wait to get my authors back on here, too, because we have so much fun on this show. We do. And time flies, doesn't it, Yvonne? Because we're does. Uh, rounding the corner, aren't we? Oh, yeah, we I, are. We're almost five minutes attention. out. Yes, we are. <laughs> it's, okay. it's unreal how fast this show goes in an hour's mm-hmm. time. It just and, – and, of course, you've been on this show enough, Jeanette, to know that you never know where it's going to go. One thread leads to another thread leads to another thread. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes this show makes so sense. unique. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it interesting. People honestly don't know what's going to happen next, and that's good. <laughs> and we do, and and people, I, I'm thinking people are not bored because they're. We don't stay on one subject the entire hour. Just like we jump from mental health issues to your trip to books to you name alpacas, you name it, we jump to it because it just seems like the thing to do at the time. And I, and I have more than 14 canaries because while I was gone, the two nests that were nesting fledged out. So now we have five new can- – now I have 19 canaries. So just thought so I'd see. update you on that one. <laughs> see, ladies and gentlemen, something else, more canaries. So since more we are canaries. now five – since we are now five minutes out, tell the okay. folks, Jeanette, where you can be found and a few words of wisdom. All right. Well, any of my books can be obtained in both ebook or paperback from Amazon. And you can just type in J. Traveler 
Pelton, and it will them all up in the list, and you can look at what kind. And my husband jokes and says, you you write in so many different things. One of them they've got to like. And I'm saying, yeah, that's pretty much what happens. Also have a website called Traveler Pelton and Friends. You just type in Traveler Pelton, and it will pop up. And you can write to me there. I have a contact thing where you can send me messages. I can answer it. That's a lot of fun. And it has a joke page because everybody should laugh. And I agree. My, the most fun is just every couple of every couple of weeks I update with more jokes on it. And it's just I think it's the longest page on there. Um, if you want to write to me, as I said, the contact information is there on my web page, and I, I answer all my letters and all my emails myself. If you have questions about something. Um, if you want me, I can send you a list of the ASIN numbers, if that will help you find them. But mostly I think what I'd like people to realize is that they are in charge of their own lives and their own choices. They're not in charge of everybody else's. They don't have to worry about everybody else's. The good Lord takes care of that. You're in charge of your life and your choices. And the attitude you took towards your life and your choices will determine whether you are contented and happy or whether you're sad and worried and anxious. It's up to you what it should be like. What your life is, is you. And I hope I you it. pick the choice of love and the choice of kindness to others. Because if you're in service to others, even if it's just to smile at a clerk in a store or do something kind for a, a child that's walking by on the sidewalk and it looks hot and you take them some lemonade or something, even if something simple, Doing service to others is probably the biggest component in people's happiness. Absolutely. And, Anne, what is your few words of wisdom, my dear? I can't top that, so I'm going to defer to the guest. <laughs> <laughs> well, she she knocked it out of the park this time. She threw it up yes, and knocked did. it out. So. <laughs> home run. Tomorrow night, ladies and gentlemen, at 8 o'clock, we'll have Lady Redneck here. She is an indie country artist, and I'm going to tell you, her music is phenomenal. I am Yvonne Mason with my co-host, Ian Bush, and I want to thank J. Traveler Pelton, also known as Jeanette Pelton, on her Facebook page for being with us. And I know she'll come back. I don't even have to ask her. I know all I have to do is say, when you want to come back, and she'll tell me, and we'll bring her back because we didn't get through with half of the stuff we could have talked about tonight. We get started, and we just don't know when to quit because I still want to talk about her farm and all the, the fun they have on the farm. So we'll do that the next time. But it's like both Ian and Jeanette said, and I have said, life is neither good nor bad. Life is life. It is what we do with life that translates into good or bad. It is our attitude. It is our ability to be able to walk our journey without bitterness, no matter what happens, because everything happens for a reason. And God is in control. We are in control of nothing. God is in control of everything. And I want everyone to understand that, that when we allow God to take over our lives, we can find that contentment. We can find that happiness because we know that in the end, he has it. And we give it to him and we don't, the things we can fix, we fix. The things we don't, can't fix, we don't worry about because it's, it's nonproductive. So I want to thank you guys for being here tonight. I know, Jeanette, you'll be happy to come back. I, I know Ian's coming back tomorrow night. And I know he's going to do his homework for Lady Redneck. Her name is also Stephanie Lee. So join us tomorrow night at 8 o'clock here on Off the Chain. I am your host, Yvonne Mason, with my co-host, Ian Bush, and our guest, who I absolutely love with all of my heart, author J. Traveler Pelton. Go and get her books. You will not be sorry. So until tomorrow night, I want to wish you all a good night. Stay safe, stay well, stay happy, and stay positive. So thank you both very much. You're welcome. Anytime. Good night, Anna. God bless. Have a good life. <laughs>
God bless to you too. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.